This morning in the Word, we're going to be in John chapter 4. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn there with me. John chapter 4. The wonderful story. We actually just preached it in the spring, focusing on Jesus' interaction with the woman. But today we're going to focus on just a couple of verses about what Jesus said. As we uh, have been walking through the series on discipleship, we, we could not continue to talk about discipleship without talking about the purpose of discipleship. And that's why we come to this text this morning and say, why are we disciples? Why are we on this journey of following Jesus? And here are Jesus' own words. In John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Father, we open your word, and we pray you'd help us open our hearts. We want to be present with you this morning to listen to exactly what you have to say to us. So we pray that you would speak to us and that we would hear you clearly. We pray that you'd open our eyes so that we could behold wonderful things from your law, like Psalm 119 says. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, uh, I want to start this morning. We're talking about worship, so naturally, maybe your mind just went to everything we just did as worship. We call this worship. We call these people the worship team, and that's all right because corporate worship really does matter. That's a very vital aspect of worship, but it fits under the umbrella of worshiping as a whole. So definitely we worship when we gather and we sing and we read scripture and we pray and we hear the word. This is worship together. But I hope this isn't all that worship is to you. But as I was thinking about worship, specifically in this passage, I just kept thinking about uh, the last probably 10 years of my life in my relationship to music. So I, I didn't grow up listening to a lot of music, but when I was in college, I had a lot of very musical friends, so I started listening to music. And actually when I read or study, I love to listen to music. So when I was in college, you kind of have to learn to study in chaos, right? If you went to college or you're going to go to college, you're going to learn to do that. Uh, and so you, you just kind of, I lived in a house with five other guys right around the corner from here, actually. And so you just kind of learn to read and study and do your homework with all sorts of chaos and movies going and people hanging out and music going. And so uh, that was just a part of my life. I love to read and study. I, I almost needed background noise. Okay, fast forward when we get married, I learned to, I was still in seminary, so I would be doing my schoolwork while we'd be having the TV on, or I'd have some music going during the day, and it was great. Something's happened, though, to where I can't have words anymore. The words just, I mean, I can't, I feel like an old man that I never thought I would get to this point where I'm like, I sound like my dad. I'm like, I can't, the words are pulling me here, and I'm trying to read, and I'm not getting anywhere. So it just, my, my productivity took a huge dip uh, when that part happened in my life. And I'm going, I can't have music with words. So I've discovered all this music that's just instrumental. I literally will get on Spotify and look up coffee house jazz and just hit play. I don't know who's playing. I just like the sound of jazz while I'm working, while I'm writing a, a sermon just like this, or, or while I'm doing anything. But what I've learned in music is that there's really two vital aspects. Now, I'm the least musical person in the room. I can guarantee it. You might be equal to me, but you are not less musical than me, I promise. But the way I see it, music has two very vital components. One is the actual instrumentation. The pianos, the guitars, the drums and percussion, or like Brett plays for us sometimes, 
the horn, the brass, those fun aspects. So there's that part of music and songs. But then the other part is the lyrics. Have you ever listened to a song and the, the music's okay, but the lyrics are just incredible. And they're telling a story, and there's rhyming, and there's poetry. It's a lyrical masterpiece. Well, as I was thinking about what Jesus meant when he said worship in spirit and in truth, I couldn't help but be brought to a song. That surely you can have a song without lyrics, and it's okay. It's beautiful even. But then you could come over here, and you can have poetry and story without any instruments. And, and that's good and riveting. I mean, we read books and poems. But something happens when you put both of these together. And the only word we have for it is music. You take two beautiful things and then you bring them together and what do you have? You have a song that somehow seems to capture you more than an instrumental does and seems to capture you more than just a story or a poem does. And I think that is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says worship in spirit and in truth. He's talking about the wedding together of two things that are good. But when you bring them together, we get the song of worship. Now, I don't mean just singing worship, so I know that this illustration could be confusing because it's more than singing. But I was thinking about that as I was thinking about worshiping in spirit and in truth. He's inviting us into the song of worship, into the music of worship. And the truth about worship is actually that we're all worshipers, right? I mean, we all worship things all the time. We, we've talked about this before at Shalford, even maybe within the last year, that you can't help but ascribe ultimate value to something. The question is not if you worship, it's what or whom do you worship? But here's how Jesus talks about worship in John 4, 23. Look, look with me at the very first words that he says in this short verse. He's talking to a woman at the well, and he gives some insight that only... Jesus could have known, only a prophet could have known. He's in the middle of the day, and this woman comes by herself, and he says, can you give me some water? And she recognizes he's a Jew, and she's a Samaritan, and she says, no, wait a minute. What? We're not supposed to have any dealings with you. We really hate each other. Why are you talking to me? He says, well, if you knew who I was talking to you, you'd ask me for living water, and then you'd never be thirsty again. So she naturally says, okay, then I'll ask. Can I have some of that water? He says, okay, but first go call your husband. He's setting the bait. She says, well, I don't have a husband. Technically true. Jesus says, you're right. You've had five, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she senses not judgment from this statement, but divine insight. And she responds like, uh, <laughs> I tend to think this, this is a great um, typical southern response to someone who knows enough about religion to try to respond, but doesn't know quite enough about religion to respond from the heart. She goes, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. So tell me, should we worship on this mountain or that mountain? I mean, the, the conversations I was in this week that someone would try to use more religious language when they found out that I was a, a pastor or try not to, they're, they're catching themselves on not saying a, a cuss word or something around me. And it's, I see that in the woman here. She says, well, sure, t tell me where we ought to worship then if you're a prophet and you can speak uh, with divine insight and wisdom. And that's where Jesus picks up. He says, look, uh, he says, woman, believe me, this is verse 21, the hour's coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know, but we worship what we know for salvation from the Jews. And then here's our text this morning, but the hour is coming 
and is now here. So the first thing Jesus talks to her about is the time of worship. He says this phrase twice, one in verse 21 and one in verse 23, the hour is coming. The, uh, the timing of worship. He says the hour is coming. Here's the truth about worship. In the Old Testament, there was a location for worship. It was the temple. And then the temple was set in Jerusalem. So there was a, a, a direction that worship was aimed, and you'd travel to Jerusalem to make your sacrifices. That's where the priests were located. But the hour is coming when the dynamics of worship are going to change. And Jesus is actually saying the hour is coming and is now here. Here's what he's saying. In me, in my arrival, I'm changing everything you think you know about worship. I'm changing the dynamics of worship because in Jesus, he opens up a truer and a better way of worship where we don't have to go to a temple to experience the presence of God, but we can experience the presence of God because he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us. We don't have to make periodic yearly or a few times a year trips to a holy city, to a certain building with a certain person who's been ordained and purified and cleansed so that they could go offer sacrifice for us. Jesus says we can know God personally. So Jesus is telling her, look, the timing of worship, here it is, the hour's coming when all of this is gonna change. It's not gonna be about this mountain or that mountain. But Jesus perfectly mediates between us and God. And then he dives in, and here's the body of our sermon today, the shape of worship. He says, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. What, what do the, these two things mean? We're going to take them in order and first talk about worship in the spirit. Now, you read this text and you immediately go, okay, spirit, my antenna's going up. Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? Is he talking, you know, this, in my version of the scripture, that spirit is lowercase. I'm going, okay, is this a hint here? What, what, what does spirit mean? Well, I think it cuts two ways, and first I want to take one way. First, I think he's talking about you worship in spirit when you worship from the inward parts of who you are, from the inward, deepest portion of who you are. We worship from the depths of our heart and our soul. We worship with emotions. Go read the Psalms. We worship with love and affection. This is talking about being alive to God. But maybe here's an easy way we can get at what does it mean to worship in spirit. We can talk about what the opposite might look like. What would it look like? What's the opposite of worshiping in the spirit? What might that look like to do the opposite of worship in spirit? Well, here's some things I, I thought of and I jotted down. Maybe it looks like worshiping in form only. You're, you're, you're doing the right thing. You're sitting here this morning. Maybe you even open this and set it somewhere. Maybe you're trying to look like you're acting a certain way. You're worshiping in form only. The opposite of worshiping in spirit could look like doing things outwardly and not inwardly. But here's another way. Worshiping the opposite of in the spirit could look like it's forced instead of it's free-flowing. It could look like you're trying to manipulate your heart into doing something that the Holy Spirit hasn't first done. It could look rigid. It could look forced and not this free-flowing act of love towards God. It could look like you're looking more around you at what are people thinking about the way that you're worshiping or looking around your household, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, trying to force yourself into going, am I doing this right? Rather than just a natural heart response to who God is. So it could look like it's only outward, it's only in form, it's forced. Here's a section of Isaiah chapter 1 that I think gets at the heart of what it means to not worship in the Spirit. 
Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 15. Say this. Let me see if I can find it. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? What to me, he's saying, what to me is the multitude of of your sacrifices. Let, let me turn so I can read the full, the full passage. But he's saying, you offer all these sacrifices. What, what does this matter to me? Says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. So he's saying your rituals, your feasts. He's saying I can't endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and appointed feasts. He says my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Do, do you see what he's doing here? He's saying, look, you've got the form right. You're doing all these sacrifices. You're doing the feast. You're, you're celebrating the calendar. But he's saying there's sin in your heart. There's sin at the depths of who you are that's preventing you from worshiping in the spirit. And you're only worshiping in form only, thinking that if you show up and you offer the right sacrifice that I'm somehow blind to where your heart really lies and it's not with me. So if we're gonna worship in spirit, if we're gonna worship from a place of inward authenticity that we truly love God, the truth is this cuts both ways. And we asked earlier, is he talking about in my spirit or in the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. Because you can't worship in spirit unless the spirit has done a work in you. The, the Bible says our hearts are cold towards God. The Bible says that our hearts are dead. That's what Ephesians 2 says. So when it talks about our spirit, it talks about it in this kind of question. The Bible's begging us to ask this. In my spirit, the depths of who I am, am I dead or am I alive? And you can't worship God in spirit if you're dead. You need to be made alive again so that you're actually alive to God. That's the way Romans 6 talks about our relationship with Jesus, that because Jesus died and was brought back to life, we too are in him, and so we've died to sin and are alive to God in Christ Jesus. So to worship in the Spirit does mean to worship from the depths of who you are. It's an emotional worship. It's an honest worship. It's an authentic worship. It's a worship that includes your love. But it can only happen if the Spirit has done a work in you to change you and to make you alive to God. That's what it means to worship in the Spirit. But let's jump over and look at what it means to worship in the truth. What does it mean to worship in truth? Well, I, I think it means we've got to worship the one true God. We can't worship who God is not. We need to worship who God really and truly is. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You, it matters that you worship the true God. Not a false God, not a God in your own image, not a God you come up with. There's so many people who say, I don't, I don't believe in God. 
Well, great. Share with me what God you don't believe in, and chances are I probably don't believe in that God either. But if you're going to tell me you don't believe in the God of the Bible, then tell me all the things about the God in the Bible you don't believe in. Let, let, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I, I'm looking over here at you, Scott. When we had breakfast, I heard you say some of these things about the Old Testament. I said, okay, i got to read this whole thing for myself. Because how's the way we know God? We, we look at his word. We look at his word, and we read the story of Scripture, and we say, this is who the Bible presents as the one true God. So if I'm going to worship in truth, I've got to worship according to the story of Scripture and the God that this Scripture presents. Now, let's take a step back and ask the same question we asked about worshiping in spirit. What's the opposite of worshiping in truth? Well, it could certainly be worshiping false gods or idols that you see in the Old Testament. This word worship was originally used as a a gesture. It meant like bowing down or kissing the feet or getting in this laying down position into a great one. I mean like laying down and saying, you're greater than me, I respect you, I honor you, I'm gonna bow down. And then the word kind of got co-opted into this religious meaning that said, well this is, that's kind of what you do in your heart towards whatever God you're worshiping is you're bowing down to it. Maybe not always physically, but in your spirit. So maybe you bow down in your heart to some idol that's not really God, and here's how you do that. You might set your hope or your love or your affections, your security, your purpose, your identity on something or someone that is not God. So maybe one of the ways you don't worship in truth is is that you don't worship God. You worship according to a lie. You worship an idol. But here's another way. Maybe you mischaracterize God, and that's what I just talked about. Some people say, I don't believe in God, and truth be told, I might not believe in that God either. So let's hold our definition of God up to what the Bible actually teaches. The opposite of worshiping in truth, I think of the Old Testament stories of when Israel mingled with the nations in such a way that they took on their gods. And God always wanted to keep it pure that they believed in Yahweh, the creator God, who redeemed them from Egypt. And he knew it would be dangerous for other gods to come in and be put on the same level as Yahweh. So in the Old Testament, sure enough, that's exactly what happened. They mingled in such a way that they held with an open hand their worship of the one true God, and they brought in other gods, brought in other idols. They installed the kings, go read first and second kings, they built what, what came to be shorthand as the high places. Other places you could go sacrifice. Other, you didn't have to come to the temple. You, you could go worship out around. They began to compromise on all of these things about who God really was. So if that's the opposite of worshiping in truth, what do we do with that? What do we do when we're not worshiping in truth? Well, we come to truth, which we said is scripture. That's how we learn who God really is. But here's here's the good news about scripture. It's a story that's all leading to Jesus. If you're going to worship according to who God really is and you begin to read scripture, you'll recognize that scripture is all pointing you to a coming Messiah, servant, king who's gonna bear the sins of his people and save them fully and finally. One who will not let you down at the end of his life, but one who will actually lay down his life for you. So as we're worshiping in truth, we're worshiping according to the scriptures, the scriptures lead us straight to Jesus, and then in John's gospel, we have these words in John 1.14. Jesus is full of grace and truth. In John 14.6, Jesus even says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, Jesus is the truth because he is a full picture of who God really is. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. 
So I think if you're wrestling with faith this morning, the thing that I would encourage you to do is maybe not start in Genesis, maybe start in one of the Gospels and wrestle with who Jesus is. We can, we'll get to Genesis. I don't want to throw that out. But maybe the best place to do is go get a picture of Jesus because when God sent his son, clothed him in flesh, and sent him to earth to show the world what he was like and to embody in a human being, he sent Jesus. The image of the one true God. So let's go wrestle with who Jesus is. If you're wrestling with faith this morning, go ask, who is Jesus? What is he like? Because that is who God is. That is the God we're worshiping. We're, we're worshiping the God who has revealed himself in Jesus. The, the Jesus who, remember some things about Jesus with me. The Jesus who was kind, yet passionate enough to flip over the tables in the temple. The Jesus who was gentle, yet also judgmental towards religious people who were twisting the words of God, the Pharisees. The Jesus who healed the broken and pursued outcasts and fed thousands. The Jesus who was pure and sinless. The Jesus who died for sin and was raised to new life. The Jesus who lives today ever interceding for us in God's presence. We see exactly who God is when we look at the person of Jesus. And our invitation is to worship that God. The God who was strong enough to be secure enough to send Jesus to embrace suffering and weakness and humility so that he might save us, destroy sin, crush evil and wickedness forever. John Frame is a, a theologian I don't expect you to know. I'm just trying to do a good citing here in my sermon John Frame, theologian, he's written a bunch of books on theology. Here's, here's what he says about worship. Biblical worship, unlike much pagan worship, is not intended to meet the needs of its God. Sit with that for a second. Your worship is not meeting a need in God. You're not offering a sacrifice to God or serving God or giving to God because he needs something from you. That's what happens when you worship an idol. And that's exactly what John Frame says. Unlike much pagan worship, it's not intended to meet the needs of its God. In worship, we offer our thanks for the fact that God has met our needs. That is the difference between worshiping in spirit and in truth and worshiping in lies. You are not meeting a need in God. You are invited to come bow in awe, in love, in need before the one who will meet your needs. And watch him meet your needs to the depths of your spirit and submit ourselves to the story of who this God is right here in scripture. And as we come to him, we don't come to meet his needs. We come because he has met our needs. And don't we see that in the person of Jesus? That to worship in truth is to worship Christ, the God-man who has saved us. The last part of, of these verses that I want to look at this morning in John 4 is when Jesus 
talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. The hour's coming and is now here, and he's talking about spirit and truth. He says that will, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and, but he, he puts a little tag on the end of it. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Do you see God as seeking worshipers? And what does it mean for you that God doesn't need your worship, yet he's still seeking it? That means God's not trying to use you. God's not trying to use your worship to build up something about himself. God's not trying to use you to redefine who he is. He's not asking you to come and give him something that he doesn't have, but God is seeking worshipers. Do you see God as someone who is seeking you? Or do you see God as someone whose back's turned and not interested? But Jesus says the Father is seeking these kind of people to worship him. And, and as I was thinking about that phrase, Father is seeking such people to worship him. I just couldn't get over the fact that the Father is seeking. So the very nature of what worship is is that we come to the God who has no needs. And he wants us to worship him because he doesn't have needs. And he wants, to worship him he wants us to worship him because he's met our needs. And then he's seeking us. <laughs> so what he's doing is he's saying, I want you to come to me, not so that you give things to me, but so that I can give things to you. Primarily, Jesus. The Father is seeking you to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I pray that the song of worship would be real in your heart today. That you would have both the instrumental beauty and the truth of the lyrics meet. You know, if you have one of those without the other, if you, if you, if you worship in truth and not in spirit, it's gonna feel dead. It's gonna feel dead to worship in truth without spirit. And to worship in spirit without truth is just going to be wrong. It's going to be directionless. It, and if it's directed anywhere, it won't be directed at the one true God. I, I was thinking about spirit and truth in our relationship to God. I began to think about marriage, because I think marriage is another good illustration for this. The spirit of marriage is what? Love unity, enjoying one another's presence. The truth of marriage also includes who I do that with. So if I'm enjoying the spirit of marriage and you see me down here at Grand Champion Barbecue, love, enjoying the presence of someone, and you walk in and you see me facing the door and you go, wow, he, I can tell he doesn't have any kids. He must be, must have had a date night. Good for, I'm going to go say hey to Jay. And I've got joy and smile on my face and I'm happy. And you see me holding hands across the table and you walk up and you turn the booth and it's not Carrie. You're going to say that's not marriage. Whatever this is, is wrong. And I've caught you in something and you better bring it to our elders because I got to get out of here. 
But the reality is you're going to look at that and you're going to say, okay, he had the spirit of marriage, but my goodness, this is not the truth. This is not the one you should be doing this with. But then the other point, let's say you walk into Grand Champion, I've got a scowl on my face, angry, and the kids aren't with us, and so you say he's not blaming it on them. You go, he just looks mad. What's he doing? In the, is he, I mean, is he getting on to someone? He just looks miserable. And you walk and you turn the corner of the booth and Carrie's sitting there. You're going to say, what's wrong? <laughs> you might not say that to us, but you're going to think it. Wow, you seem really upset to be here with the one that you've said you love and want to spend the rest of your life with. You're going to say, I don't know what healthy marriage is, but I don't think it's this. Now, there's a time and a place to fight and get down to it, and let's be honest with one another. But the spirit of marriage ought to be love and joy. So if you, the truth is I'm there with Carrie, but I'm, <laughs> that's not the way marriage ought to look. So you can have the spirit of what worship is and not be worshiping the right one. And you can be with the right one, God, the God of the Bible, and have no spirit of what worship really is. But what you're invited to, because the Father is seeking you to do this, is you're invited to both. Now here's what this means for you. You may say, Johnny, I don't have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart to sing this morning. I, I, don't, I don't have that. I don't... I don't have the serious contemplation. You ever watch, and he's not here this morning, so maybe he'll watch this. You watch Nick Garofalo lead worship when he leads with us? I mean, it, it, you just get the sense that Jesus is just right there with him, just contemplating. And maybe you're this morning, because I do this sometimes with Nick, I go, I don't have that. Maybe you're going, I don't have that. I don't have this serious contemplation. I don't have this over-the-top joy. I don't really feel like raising my hands up. Right now, I don't really know what I feel towards God. The, the reality of worship is not what emotions you have towards God, but it's that you are invited to bring whatever they are to God. The reality of worship is that the real, honest you, the true self Lynn's been talking about, that you bring your true self into the presence of God. You bring what's honestly in your heart into the presence of God. And you know because the truth of who he is, the one true God, he can withstand whatever is going on in your heart. So you come in exactly as you are into his presence. And you don't try to fake an emotion. You don't try to fake a feeling. But you come right to him. It's like a kid comes right to a father no matter what's going on. The spirit of worship is not that you feel a certain way, right? It's not like a, an ancient king that says, you better not frown or be sad in my presence or off with your head. It's a loving father that says, why didn't you just tell me? that you felt like this? Why didn't you just tell me you were this sad? Why didn't you just tell me that you were struggling in this way? Why didn't you just tell me you didn't believe me? Why didn't you just bring it to me? The spirit of worship is that God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit to pull you to him no matter what's going on in your heart. You're with him. So this morning, I want to invite you. We're going to sing another song and get a chance to do this in singing, but I hope that this posture of worship is something you can consider all week. Worship in spirit and in truth. And as we pray, I'm gonna give us a second to pray and reflect on this. Jay's gonna come back up and we're gonna sing. 
And I'm going to stand up here and sing, and Lynn is going to go to the back. If you'd like to go pray with Lynn in the back, you could go pray with Lynn. I'll be up here, and I'll pray with you. Jay, what song did we decide to sing here? Perfect. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. I'm going to give you just a second an attitude of prayer to, to just consider this and what this means for your life. As soon as I pray, I'm going to give you a minute to do that. So let me pray for you first. God, it's always amazing to me how all-encompassing your word is. I don't know that I ever could have dreamed up a definition and a description of worship that is so deep and thorough, but God, you have, and it is actually... (laughs) It is wooing me to you right now, God, to see how much you want me to love you and how much you've loved me. I pray for this church family this morning, God. I pray for the ones here, God, that know the truth about who you are but whose hearts are far from you. I pray that they'd be able to worship in spirit and in truth this morning, not just with a mind that comprehends truth but with a spirit that is alive to you. And I pray for those of us, God, in this room whose hearts feel alive to something, I pray that you'd lead us to submit to Scripture, to be sure that we're worshiping not just in a lively way or in a spiritually honest way, but in a truthful way, the one true God that's revealed in the Bible. So God, would you meet us here in this moment of silence I pray that you'd help us take all the masks off, lay everything down that we're trying to be or think we ought to be, and I pray that we would be with you in honest confession for a few moments and let the real God speak to the real us. In Jesus' name, take just a minute before we begin to sing and be silent with God.